How ethical is really ethical fashion? I'm Valentina and welcome to my life without plastic. Hello and welcome back my eco fam. <laughs> welcome back to another week and another episode in my journey. <laughs> Today we're going to continue talking about fashion. So in episode 12, we talked about donated clothes, which seems to be one of the most obvious ways to get rid of your clothes. And then in the last episode, we discussed fast fashion and the consequences it has, not only on the environment, but obviously on many people involved in this industry. And today, we're going to be talking about ethical and sustainable fashion. So kind of coming, you know, full circle here. Obviously, there will be always something new to add to this topic. This is not the end of it. But I really think that listening to all these three episodes can maybe give you a different perspective on fashion. And again, I'm definitely not here to criticize anyone. I know that fashion can be a way for many to express themselves creatively. So my point is definitely not to tell um, anyone to only buy secondhand clothes or only buy ethical clothing. Instead, I just want to make you think about the consequences of your decisions. And as we've learned so far, even actions that we consider good or ethical or even sustainable, they all still have consequences. There's no way to live a perfectly sustainable and ethical life, but knowing what the consequences of our actions are can really help us make more conscious choices in life. And this is really the point behind it all. Ethical fashion is no different than any other topic. Um, we will talk about what it really is in a moment, but we'll also take a deeper look into you know, really what goes behind closed doors? How ethical is it really? So we're definitely going to get a little bit controversial here. So in this episode, I actually decided to um, try out a different structure. You know, until now, I usually have my episode segment. And then in the end, we have a conspiracy segment where we get to hear an alternative opinion than what we've discussed throughout the episode. But today, I decided that there won't be a conspiracy section. <laughs> what? <laughs> but don't worry, there's actually a reason behind that. Um, I just feel like this is one of those topics that does deserve a fair debate. Um, so instead, this episode will be structured as a debate. I have prepared for you uh, six points and we'll be alternating between the pros and cons. I hope that this will help you form your own opinion on this topic. So, as always, be prepared to be challenged <laughs> regardless of what opinion is at the beginning of this episode. Just please keep an open mind. And we're going to dive right into it because I have a feeling this is going to be a little bit of a lengthy episode. So let's jump right into the very, very first positive argument, the very first argument in favor of ethical fashion, uh, which is that ethical fashion is sustainable. 
So before we get to the top benefits of sustainable clothing, it's important to understand what exactly defines sustainable clothing. So sustainable clothing is clothing that is designed using sustainable fabrics like hemp, organic cotton, and uh, Pima cotton that have less of a negative impact on the planet. In addition, sustainable clothing is usually created by sustainable clothing brands whose main mission is to produce stylish and comfortable clothing without sacrificing the environment in doing so. So sustainable clothing brands have eco-conscious business models that align with lessening their environmental footprint as much as they can. Now, how exactly is ethical fashion sustainable? In addition to treating workers fairly, ethical fashion is based on sustainability. This means prioritizing environmentally friendly practices throughout production and making a product that has a lower impact on the environment. What does ethical fashion mean for sustainability? Well, clothing is made from eco-friendly materials such as organic, pesticide-free, non-GMO cotton, and so on. Just to mention a few, clothing is also safe for people and the environment, avoiding any materials that contain, you know, any toxins and any harmful chemicals. Also, clothing is made through sustainable practices that reduce uh, water consumption and waste production. Those are two very, very big problems that we actually tackled last episode. And lastly, clothing is also made using natural energy and avoiding pollution. So those are all aspects that could be used to justify how ethical fashion can be classified as sustainable. And we're going to see that sometimes just one of those could be a reason to call a brand sustainable. And sometimes a brand follows more than just one of those practices. So while ethical fashion may not solve all of our problems with unsafe chemicals, water shortages, energy consumption, overflowing landfills, and so on. It definitely allows us to reduce our impact on the environment and invest in safer, more sustainable practices. So um, another thing that we need to keep in mind when we're considering supporting ethical brands and specifically in the fashion industry, is that we're most likely also supporting fair labor practices uh, by shopping from those brands. You know, that's another big part of, uh, of a sustainable clothing business model, which is providing fair labor, labor practices and a proper living wage to employees that work in their factories. Generally, clothing made in the United States has obviously higher labor and fair wage standards than foreign countries. Unfortunately, factories overseas do not have the same level of authority. And this is because the United States just has um, federal laws set in place to make sure that no unfair labor treatment is uh, or unethical working conditions can exist. So what does this all mean? Well, when you choose to purchase from a made-in-USA clothing brand or a sustainable clothing brand, you're supporting fair labor practices and proper living wage. When you purchase from a fast fashion brand or clothing brand that manufactures entirely in China, there's a good chance you are contributing to unfair and even child labor, unhealthy working conditions, and many more other problems that occur in their factories. 
There are many great ways to shop for sustainable clothing, but one simple way to check if a clothing brand uses fair labor practices is to browse their website and see if it is mentioned anywhere. Usually brands who support fair labor practices will be proud to promote it, right? They will be 100% transparent about it, and that's probably one of the very first things you're going to see on their site. Now, if you have to dig deeper into that research most likely there are multiple levels into getting there. So they may not be there yet. Also, you could do the same type of investigation online to learn if a clothing brand is actually sustainable. Usually the best sustainable clothing brands will have passionate messaging about this on their site, in their marketing, on their social media, and so on. Now, we do have to be aware of what is called greenwashing. And this actually brings me to my very next argument here, uh, which is also our very first argument kind of against ethical fashion. Um, And now this argument is not necessarily against ethical fashion as a whole or ethical fashion as a, you know, um, a principle, as an idea, as a value, but instead it's a critique, I would say, against... um, what ethical fashion has sort of become nowadays Um, and what it's become is a label and there's a big very big problem with fashion brands that call themselves sustainable i found this article that summarizes it fairly well so i'm just gonna read through it a little bit it seems as though every week a press release lands in my inbox announcing the launch of an exciting and revolutionary sustainable fashion brand And it's because these words, sustainable, eco-friendly, socially and environmentally conscious, are at the moment some of the buzziest in the industry. They give both emerging and established um, labels a newfound, do-good, feel-good purpose that goes beyond simply selling clothes. Um, And, you know, it also goes beyond raking in a profit. But really, what does it all mean? On emerging brand, uh, one emerging brand can claim itself as sustainable for harnessing the talent of artisans around the world, right? In this case, talking about uh, fair um, labor wages. Um, So, you know, those artisans can create handcrafted pieces in lieu of employing labor from factory. Another for sourcing organic cotton or recycled materials, even as fast fashion giant. They're different, yet they're both sustainable. Is one better than the other? And who determines that? It's a huge challenge for the apparel industry because we're producing way more clothes than we really need. Williams said. So this was a person interviewed in this article. It's also very complex. Um, We're talking about an industry that spans the globe, that employs millions of people, that is responsible for people, say, for being the second most, uh, for, for, that is responsible, some people say, for being the second most toxic industry in the world. The biggest problem is the lack of standardization across the board. Nearly everyone I talked to compared the fashion with the food industry, or rather how far behind fashion is as compared with food, which has a a governing body like the USDA to certify whether a product is organic. 
Williams says fashion lags behind food and beauty because there's less of a personal investment. We found that people are more motivated by personal impact rather than environmental, she explains. It's been easier to get consumers engaged with food because it's something that goes in your body. With beauty, it goes on your skin. Clothing is one step removed. Plus, it's incredibly confusing. If designers struggle with the complexities of sustainability, then how can we expect consumers to figure out which issues to actually care about? It's like you need a PhD in sustainability to go shopping, Williams says. Uh, The more difficult we make it for consumers, they're more likely to tune out and not even bother. The industry has to take on the responsibility of what good looks like. When I asked Genevieve Silak and Clarissa Santos, the design duo behind the sustainable brand Where Mountains Meet, to determine whether it's environmentally better to source organic cotton overseas or non-organic grown locally, um, they revealed there is no way to determine which is less toxic. I honestly don't know which one is better in the end, Santos says. The best we can do is how we, as a small brand, can make a difference. Still, at the end of the day, for an industry that runs on consumers buying into trends season after season, it's business that's It's a business that's inherently not sustainable. And that's compounded by the existence of fast fashion retailers like H&M. The whole principle of H&M is anti-sustainability. It's all about volume, 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 Salek says. In its defense, Williams argues that at least H&M is making strides to practice sustainability to some extent. So, to answer the overarching question here... No, a fashion brand can never be truly sustainable. But what it can do is work towards making a positive impact and addressing issues. And on consumer level, there's a way to make a difference. However small that may be, um, you know, it may seem extremely small at first, but um, understanding where your clothes come from can truly make a difference. So now this is kind of, one way to criticize what we consider ethical or sustainable fashion, right? There's so many brands that call themselves sustainable um, and put labels, but what exactly stands behind those labels? How true are those labels, right? So to sum it up, it's a pretty questionable, um, you know, argument if a business can truly be 100% ethical and sustainable. There is just so much that goes um, into satisfying the requirements of being able to call your business sustainable or ethical. Like we just um, saw in this one in, in this one article, what is better, sourcing organic cotton from another country or using non-organic cotton but locally? which one is going to be better, right? There's a lot of uh, controversial questions that go into it and not really a standardized way to determine which practices are actually considered sustainable and which ones are just bus in the end of the day. So, you know, on the one hand, is it maybe better that a business does something 
instead of no, doing nothing at all? That's also not a question we need to ask ourselves. Of course, we criticize big companies like H&M for greenwashing their audiences. And I truly believe that that's a fact. Uh, I don't think that we can really argue against that. But is it maybe good that in the end of the day, at least they're doing something? Are they really moving in the right direction? Or are they just trying to distract us from the bigger problem that they have in their supply chain with, for example, unfair labor wages? Um, you know, those are all very valid questions. So it is not as simple to just be, you know, in favor or against uh, ethical fashion because there's just so much that goes into it. Overall, I think, you know, uh, my personal conclusion to this first set of argument, I would say, is that I just wish all brands were more transparent. Sometimes I don't care if a business checks off all of the boxes of the sustainability requirements. For some people, for example, it may be more important for the business to guarantee fair labor wages than sourcing organic cotton, right? And sometimes it may be hard for a business to do both. But if we were clear on the values those businesses stand for, it would be now much easier for us to make a conscious purchase decision. So yeah, greenwashing is definitely a very real thing um, and we have to be very much aware of it. Just because a brand calls themselves sustainable or in, a, in the sense of, um, let's say, a fast fashion big brand like H&M or Zara who uh, have sustainable collections, it it may mean that they're moving in the right direction. It may mean that they are implementing some practices, but we really have to um, feel obligated in a way to do more research into that and see how true they are, how, uh, how much they actually uphold those values. So let's take a look at the next argument. And, you know, we're going to start again with the positive. Um, we're going to start with the second argument in favor of ethical fashion, which is ethical fashion supports women and promotes feminist values. Sustainable fashion is finding its voice. It's becoming more and more popular and with every single day. Revo revolution is a uh, provocative word, but it feels like the right one. Increasing numbers of ordinary folk are uh, speaking out against injustice. Questioning the system is trending in fashion too. Uh, for example, the fall 2017 collections were the most politically charged in years. We know that fashion matters. It's big business for a start, reportedly worth $2.4 trillion a year. <laughs> okay, so it's definitely a very significant big business. So, of course, it has big impact on people and also the planet. Globally, fashion is the second most polluting industry after oil. And we touched base on that in more details in my last episode, how fashion impacts the environment. Now, to dig deep a little bit more on the worker side, 80% of garment um, workers are women. Most of them aged between 18 and 25. Most have children and most aren't paid nearly enough for, their, um, for any of their bills. So the minimum wage in Bangladesh is about $67 per month. 
However good the Zara sale is, you can't buy a decent wardrobe for that. You can't buy nourishing food for your family or keep a dignified roof over their heads for that either. So um, actually, I read an article with um, Kalpona Akter, who is executive director of the Bangladesh Center for Workers Solidarity, uh, BCWS in short. And um, in this interview, she said, it is not enough for one person to live for a full month in Bangladesh, let alone an entire family. 35% goes to house rent in a semi-slum. She cannot afford meat more than one time a month, sometimes not at all. Fish, maybe twice a month. Mostly she lives on rice, vegetables and dal, no fruit. She doesn't have any savings for things like medical expenses. So according to Akhtar, uh, a typical day for a typical garment worker in Bangladesh begins with rising at 4.30 a.m., queuing to use a stove and access uh, to water. It's a hard battle she fights in the queue for cooking and for using the toilet because it's maximum two to four toilets they have for almost a hundred people. She starts work at 8 a.m. on the dot and being late for just three days means being docked a full day's pay. She faces constant pressure of excessive production targets, so hectic, so hectic that uh, she often forgets she needs to drink water. If she misses her targets, she must make them up during unpaid overtime. She typically gets home at 8 or 9 p.m. to cook and clean and do the washing. Her husband is hanging around with friends in the tea stall. He is not helping her, actor says. This is where the argument lies with ethical fashion um, being, you know, a feminist issue. Because not only is it mostly women who wear fashion, but it's also mostly women who sew it. Uh, it can be a tool for female empowerment. Um, especially, you know, actor stresses that she does not want people to boycott necessarily made in Bangladesh because that would mean no jobs. But the business of fashion manufacturing is still too often a context for repression. Human Rights Watch published a 40-page report entitled Follow the Threat, the Need for Supply Chain Transparency in the Garment and Footwear Industry calling out brands including Mango, Primark, and Hugo Boss for failing to, co uh, to make a commitment to publish supplier factory information. The report lists a bunch more, including Armani, Ralph Lauren, and Urban Outfitters, that did not respond to the coalition and do not publish any supply chain information. Both Mango and Primark were linked to factories based in the Rana Plaza complex. Maybe these brands are doing the right thing by workers today, but without, you know, greater transparency, how can we be sure? So as you see, um, you know, ethical fashion does touch on the feminist issue because women are so heavily affected by it. So obviously brands who are ethical and commit to fair uh, labor wages have a direct impact on those women's lives. Now, looking at it from the other side of the coin, um, something that actor also mentioned, as you probably heard right now, is that boycotting fast fashion may actually harm 
garment workers and may not even um, you know, scratch the surface of the problem. So let's see how that is true. While ethical fashion can be good for women and the feminist movement, as actor said, she does not want us to boycott all those non-ethical brands. A lot of people are legitimately wondering, won't boycotting fast fashion and buying less cause the women who make our clothes to lose their jobs? Aren't sweatshop jobs better than no jobs at all? And the answer is, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, to um, create a truly equitable future for all within the fashion industry, we need to change it. Um, and we need to change it drastically. We need to change it completely. But um, boycotts might not be the golden ticket. However, uh, you know, just being silent and not doing anything is not an option either. So we need to seek a solution in the middle. We have to dissect this entire issue and not only scratch the surface and try to find a solution to patch it up, but, you know, let's be honest, when we talk about billionaire-owned um, company, it's very unlikely that it's going to close down overnight because of one boycott, right? I don't think that a boycott is really that powerful to close down one of those big companies overnight. So changing the system and mindset um, takes time. This is why it's not possible for ethical fashion to take over all of a sudden. This will definitely cause a lot of people to lose their jobs if it was the fact, right? And even within sustainable fashion, we need to rethink how we value producers. There is a false notion in a way that workers in other countries can live with lower wages, but everyone in the supply chain deserves an income that allows them to live and thrive right? There's a difference between the cost of living and the cost of surviving. And unfortunately, in the fashion industry, you know, the industry is barely providing the cost of surviving to their garment workers. And that also includes brands marketing themselves as sustainable, not just those big fast fashion brands that we're already aware of. So we need to understand that. In this day and age, words like sustainable and eco-friendly are just marketing buzzwords at this point that often leave workers' rights, mostly equal pay, for example, out of the equation. Fast fashion brands like Zara and H&M are guilty of this green America, as it's being called. Um, they do have those green collections, sustainable collections, but definitely they leave workers' rights out of the equation to be able to call themselves sustainable. So sustainability is, you know, as I said, fashion's latest trend. All over, marketing buzzwords are ethical, eco-conscious. All these words just float around like there's no end to them in ads, pre press release, influencer Instagram pages, all of that. Although bringing awareness to the harmful impact of fashion's waste is obviously a positive note in the workers, um, often women of color earning significantly less than a liv livable wage are also affected. So, you know, many large fashion brands are pivoting to a marketing tactic that 
parade sustainability, they are still sourcing external textile workers from the global south. So just because they're saying we're sustainable, like I mentioned previously, there's multiple levels and layers to it. Which level are they picking or do are they doing multiple ones? Because if they're still sourcing external textile workers, um, how transparent are they with you know, the salaries that they're providing and so on. Or if they are working with an external factory, what kind of rules are they implementing in place to make sure that this factory out of that is in a foreign country is actually uh, upholding to their standards and values as well. Um, and now, just to give you a little bit more insight, there are garment workers that work 60 to 100 hours for as little as 63 US dollars a month. Um, you know, the conditions that they work in are also very disgusting to say the list, the least. Um, and the majority of these garment workers are obviously women of color. In China, more than 70% of garment workers are women, 85% in Bangladesh, and a skyrocketing 90% in Cambodia. In Ethiopia, H&M manufacturer workers made as little as $26 a month. Now, of course, there is a difference between um, living wage, minimum wage, surviving wage, and all of that. And I've actually linked um, in my blog some of those articles that uh, provide an insight of the difference between a living wage, between the minimum wage of each of those countries. Because obviously $26, when we talk about it in the United States, <laughs> has a different meaning than when we talk about it in Ethiopia. But trust me, after I looked through all these articles, all of these numbers are extremely low. In some cases, three, four, five, six times less than what is actually a minimum livable wage in those countries. So, you know, that's definitely a big aspect of it. But, you know, one of the points of this specific argument is that before we boycott brands and go and start buying the more expensive also, let's be honest, there are more expensive sustainable brands, we need to make sure that we do some research and that we actually really understand if the businesses we're supporting are willing uh, you know, to uphold those values and promises that they put out there in their marketing materials. So if we are shopping, let's say Zara or H&M from their sustainable collection and we're willing to pay the extra money for those clothes, is like, why are we paying that extra money? Is it manufactured in a different place? Are the factory workers getting paid more? Like what is, I know that sustainability also comes from the materials. There's again, multiple layers that make up that more expensive uh, price in ethical brands and sustainable brands, obviously. But we have to dig deeper and understand all of their layers, not just accept, you know, their labels, because in the end of the day, that's what it is. It's just labels. So, you know, looking at those two sides of the argument, um, I definitely think that you know, on the one hand, we have the argument that sustainable and ethical fashion promotes feminism, it helps women thrive, and so on. And on the other hand, we have the whole argument that, you know, it may not be the best choice to simply drop everything and boycott fashion, uh, fast fashion brands specifically. So we do have to understand, 
change takes time. We have to be aware of it. We should continue fighting for this goal. We should be loud about this issue. We should hold those big corporations accountable. But at the same time, we also need to hold the little companies accountable. Just because a business is advertising as sustainable and ethical, it doesn't mean they truly live up to those values. So, you know, it's our responsibility to do that right now. Okay, one last round of arguments. And those last two ones are going to be a bit shorter, I promise, because we're you know, about to um, pretty much come close to the usual time of the episode and I don't want to make this one longer than usual. So um, looking at ethical fashion and how it can be good for people, for, you know, the environment and all of that, there's one more argument in favor of it, which is that ethical fashion brands with local factories also support our economy. Right. So now we're not only talking about um, fair labor wages, we're not only talking about, um, you know, that um, the environment is also kept in mind during all those practices, but we're actually involving the local economy. So obviously having ethical fashion brands can definitely be beneficial to the local economy. How so? Well, buying local, and this is not just in fashion, in many other industries as well but fashion is a big one so buying local definitely improves the local economy because community businesses keep and create jobs for local workers they retain local manufacturing facilities and they maintain control of the labor standards so that's one way that it benefits the economy Um, it also buying local also helps community well-being Um, it can encourage entrepreneurship which drives innovation and prosperity so definitely lots of new brands popping up with different ideas um, and you know different motivations so that's definitely a big aspect that it contributes to community well-being and usually buying local is the more ethical choice not always but oftentimes um, that's the fact back to you know knowing where your products are made and who made them Ethical practices from sources to uh, from sources to manufacturing are of big concern, especially in the fashion industry. Consumers have a reasonably good idea of labor standards in their own country, but it may be difficult to know working conditions and the overall social sustainability in other countries. You know, um, I'm sure that a lot of you have seen the "Who Made My Clothes" post. Uh, a while back it was a big campaign that promoted just being more aware of where your clothes are coming from and that was definitely a a fashion revolution that brought global attention to those issues to those exact issues and uh, lastly buying locally can definitely or generally mean um, greater quality So local businesses normally take tremendous pride in their work and strive to serve better customers, um, to serve their customers the best they can. And this only happens by producing high quality products and providing great quality services. Local businesses are focused on building a strong brand for themselves so you can generally count on good quality purchases. Definitely they need to 
do something to stand out and to look better and to be better from the other brands to justify also the higher prices, of course. Um, so quality can very often be a big asp aspect in local brands. Now, um, this argument that I have here against ethical fashion brands is a pretty serious one. And again, those arguments are not generally against the idea of ethical fashion, but they are against the way we practice it in a way, right? So what happens behind the Made in the USA label, right? So we're talking now in this previous argument in favor of it that it's so great to have locally uh, local ethical brands, right? But what does actually happen behind the USA label? Many concerned Americans have vowed to only buy clothes with the Made in the USA label to avoid um, supporting companies tied to sweatshops. But that label isn't always enough to ensure that the workers who made your clothes were not exploited. While few would argue that conditions in U.S. clothing factories rival those found in countries like Bangladesh, sweatshop garment factories do exist inside U.S. borders, and the overwhelming majority of their workers are immigrants. The United States of Labor, um, the United States Department of Labor, defines a sweatshop as any factory that violates two or more labor laws, such as those pertaining to wages and benefits, working hours and child labor. In 1996, the Department of Labor estimated that at least half of 22,000 garment shops in the United States fit this definition. So half of 22,000, that's 11,000 garment shops, and that's back in 1996, um, fit the definition of a sweatshop. Today, most documented cases of U.S. sweatshops occur in um, California and New York. So between 2008 and 2012, for example, the Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division investigated over 1,500 employers in the garment industry in Los Angeles, San Diego, and the surrounding areas, and they found labor law violations in 93% of cases. That's um, a very significant number, right? 93% of, of the cases were violating um, labor laws. Most of the workers involved were immigrants from Asia and Latin America. So the most prominent violation was that factory workers routinely were not making the federal minimum hourly wage because they were paid by each piece they sewed and cut rather than by the hour. For most workers, this meant a minimum wage of 5 to $6 as opposed to the federal minimum wage in their state. The Department of Labor also reported that most workers were often putting in 10 to 12 hour days, seven days a week, with no overtime pay. So, you know, those are some very big accusations. And I read this interview from 2012 because I wanted to see um, the most recent development, right? Because we started talking about 1996, then 2008 to 2012. But what is happening now, right? Like what's happening in 2020? And I read this interview that I wanted to share with you. California garment worker Santa Son um, had hoped this year, this was the year the state legislature 
um, would end a system that pays her and other workers for the number of items they make, not the hours they work. Some days her job is to stitch tags or labels for clothes that carry the proud slogan made in America or made in LA. Those pay you around three cents a piece, <laughs> said Son, um, who, was, who has worked in the industry for over 15 years. Son said that under the piece rate system, she has to work 60 hours to 75 hours a week to earn $300. Although a state law is supposed to ensure that employers make up the difference so workers um, get paid the minimum wage, the U.S. Labor Department found wage violations in 85% of the California garment factories it visited. Um, Again, this is an article from 2020. We're not talking about 20 years ago. We're talking about modern-day America. People working 60 to 75 hours and getting paid $300 for those hours. Because instead of getting paid hourly, they get paid $0.03 a piece of sewing the tax. So... You know, California has raised the minimum wage to 13 an hour. It's raising to 14 this year, to 15 in 2020. But the garment workers, Son said, if the minimum wage is going up, they don't know about it since everything is paid by the piece. Um, and, you know, to sum it up, if you want, you can definitely check out my blog. I, I'm going to have this article linked up there. But... Um, Basically, in the end of the article, it just said that currently there's no further decisions made because COVID kind of slowed down things um, on the legislature side. So no laws have been passed yet. Hopefully this year or, you know, by end of this, this year or next year, we can see some more improvement. But I found it very interesting that this is happening right here in the United States. You know, um, there are always two sides of a coin. While it is true that supporting made in the USA clothes and products in general does have definitely a positive impact on our communities and our economy, it does not guarantee fair labor wages. We tend to think sometimes that all of these controversial problems happen, you know, in some place far, far away, when very often they happen right here in our own backyard. And workers' exploitation does happen in the United States, for sure. Um, simply judging clothes and products based on a label is not enough anymore. We all have to be responsible to do more research into what we're buying, especially if we're passionate about this topic. We can't be superficial because, unfortunately, companies have already seen through it and have started advertising in a way that appeals to our values. So we have to look past that nice ad and those are the colors they use. Um, just because something is packaged in green or brown or beige doesn't make it sustainable. And truly, we need to judge if the company is simply greenwashing us or actually trying to be good. Um, so definitely go check out my blog. I've listed there all of these articles that I used um, to share some of that information with you. Uh, you can look into more details there. And some of them did mention specific labels to look out for that make sure that businesses are actually following ethical and sustainable standards. So in the end, 
as I already pointed out, it is nearly impossible for a business to be 100% ethical and sustainable. And I really think that that's fine. I don't think that businesses have to be 100% perfect. But if they are transparent and truly uphold their values, that will allow us as consumers to, be, to make better decisions and you know feel at ease knowing that the causes that we're supporting are actually truly being supported. Until then, we're left with nothing but plenty of research we gotta conduct if we really want to make sure that we're shopping according um, to our own values too. <laughs> so, you know, um, I hope that these three episodes helped shed some light on the issues going on in the fashion industry. And hopefully all the information I shared with you helps you realize that this issue is definitely not black and white. The solution is definitely not as simple as it may seem to be at first. I think that, you know, the fashion industry will continue to be very controversial one for a very long time. So we need to keep fighting and we need to keep calling out brands, not just for their bad reputation with garment workers, but also the ones claiming that are they are sustainable and ethical, but are just doing so for marketing purposes, right? And lastly, it's very important that we self-reflect, right? As I mentioned, problems happen in our own backyard. They don't just happen in Bangladesh and China and Cambodia. No, they happen right here in the United States too. So question the labels you see. Question the company you buy products from question everything <laughs> okay i think that i'm leaving you with enough food for thought um definitely check out my blog post for the last three episodes i have all of the articles linked up there do your own research read more into it and share your opinion with me i would love to hear what you think about it um you know about fast fashion and ethical fashion how do you make up your mind how do you shop what do you prefer um, and all of that so definitely let me know but you know enough about fashion i think we talked about it enough uh next week we're gonna shake things up and we're gonna start talking about animals how have our ecosystems changed why are there so many endangered species and what are we doing about it right or are we just not doing anything well i hope that you'll tune in to find out see you all then bye